Alright, no need for the usual intro, just like last time. My name is Theo, this is my podcast, and today we need to talk about opportunity for minorities and the racial wealth gap. This is part three of my Race in America series. Last week, I got really frustrated at the end because the amount of history that gets glossed over is really sad to see. Racism was and is very purposeful. These aren't mistakes or accidents. The system isn't broken. It was designed to work just like this. And I hope that the way I discuss these events, these trends, these developments that you can see all of these things that take place were very much deliberate. These were not accidents. And I would like to have that discussion with you all. Today, we're going to talk about and address the racial wealth gap, opportunities for minorities to better better themselves, and why it's so incredibly difficult. Let's start with opportunity to education. In 1954, Brown versus Board of Education was a Supreme Court case that determined that separate schools were unequal and called for desegregation of schools. In 1957, over 1,000 paratroopers had to protect nine black students from a mob of angry, racist white Americans when they integrated at Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas. Per National Journal, black and Latino students are more likely to attend schools with inexperienced teachers, which lead to inadequate or below college level preparation curriculum, thus making them less prepared for post-secondary education. In addition, for the population makeup for high poverty schools, black and Latino students make up 48% of the population of high poverty schools per the National Equity Atlas in 2014. 1954 to 2014 is 60 years, and 2014 was six years ago. Why do these problems still exist, you may ask? And I asked myself the same thing. It's actually pretty straightforward. Take a public school in an area that has been redlined before, which we will talk about. That is, making sure that the homes are inflated in value for prospective black homeowners or black families are rigidly denied the ability to live there. If the public school is all about zones, that school's radius will only pick white students. 
right? And public school zones aren't fixed. Where I live, people that I know have been zoned to three different high schools who only live five minutes away from me. And their zone has changed three times. My zone actually shifted twice growing up. And I've never moved. Same house for 23 straight years. So zones can be adjusted. But as I mentioned, who lives in those areas, that has been systemically put into place. And we will talk about that later. Let's talk about wealth. Per the Urban Institute's survey of consumer finances in 2016, the median white household wealth, which is savings plus assets minus debts, $171,000. So $171,000, the median white household wealth. The median black household wealth, savings plus assets minus debts, $17,600. A gap of $153,400. Do you want to know what that gap was in 2007? One hundred eighty six thousand dollars. So, of course, that means it's going down, right? Nope. In 1964, the gap was fifty thousand dollars. In 1992, it was one hundred thousand dollars. So it went up and up and up. And it's getting a little closer. But before we address that massive gap, let's go back in time, shall we? It's 1865. Abraham Lincoln is going to sign a bill into law that will give freed slaves land of their own to use in any fashion. He was killed. Five days after the Civil War was over, he was killed. The new president is Andrew Johnson, who believed in states' rights to own slaves. Yeah, states' rights to own slaves. He completely backed the United States out of these plans, oversaw the evictions of black residents from their property, and helped institute black codes, which we will get to in a moment. So for anyone listening, whoever comes across anyone who thinks that after the Civil War, Everything was just so fine and dandy. But, oh, everyone in the general public, they were just confused and misunderstood people. And Abraham Lincoln did everything for black people. Please be sure to first 
direct that person to the last episode I talked about in the series, and then next, tell them exactly what I'm about to tell you. Oh, but everything was fine after the Civil War was over, right? The Freedmen's Bureau was established by Congress to give black children and adults access to over 4,000 schools, medical aid, and food in the South. White Southerners, who were technically traitors to the United States, so the North told them what they could and couldn't do, which I find hilarious, resented being ruled by the North because, well, you know. So being the super South loyalist that he was, President Johnson ensured that only white people could vote on how the South would be reconstructed. Forget about all of the freed slaves. No, no, no. We'll let the white people be the only people who can say what happens here. And guess who would win local and state elections? You guessed it. People who believed that slavery was supposed to be the normal way of life. Black children still weren't allowed to attend public schools at the time. Black people also weren't allowed to vote, serve on juries, travel freely, or work on occupations of their own choice. Sounds bad, right? That was before the black codes were instituted that I just mentioned. That was merely the starter pack, the appetizer, if you would, for the absolute nonsense that was about to happen. The South Carolina Black Code applied only to persons of color, quote-unquote, Defined as anyone with more than one-eighth of Negro blood. Yeah. One section of it, Civil Rights of the South Carolina Black Code. Civil Rights. Black people could work, own, and dispose of property, make contracts, profit off of or consume your own work, to sue and to be sued and receive protection under the law could have legal marriages but only to other black people ask yourself this if you existed in a state that just tried to take away your freedoms via war all of four months ago do you think the police really protect you do you really think that if you went to court as the plaintiff or defendant that you'd get a fair shot? Yeah, I, I didn't think so. Another part under the South Carolina Black Code. Labor contracts. <laughs> this one's... Um, mm. Black people had to be titled servants under their contract and white people had to be titled masters under these contracts 
so we're off to a good start here. Contract had to be seen and signed in the presence of a judge. Black Americans must be quiet and orderly every workday. Cannot leave or have visitors without permission. Any lost hours due to illness will be deducted from pay. Whipping younger servants was completely legal for discipline, but whipping anyone 18 years of age or older would need judge permission. Yeah. Here's the crazy part. Get this, get this, get this. Like I said, it has only been a few months since slavery was over. Just listen to this. Servants who quit before the end date of their labor contract forfeited their wages and could be arrested and returned to their masters by a judge order. (laughs) Slavery. Again, but legal. Again. Yep. Here's another thing under the same South Carolina Black Code. Let's say you got arrested as a black person, of course. You could be forced to work under a master and for uncompensated hard labor as your punishment yep your punishment for being arrested for of course any reason they could come up with because you know they just went to war over the ability to use you as property your punishment is to be enslaved again yep there's some good news. Of course, like the, uh, there's no good news here. No, there's some good news. Johnson got impeached in 1868, which was the first time a sitting president was impeached in U.S. history. And some of the black codes were repealed. But here's the bad news. I, I'm sorry. I only had to give you some sunshine and rainbows for a little bit. I, I, guys, I'm, I'm a positive person on a normal day. It's just that when you talk about this, it's just all darkness. You know what I mean? Here's the bad news. And I will directly read this one straight off the quote for full emphasis. This is all within the context of the article I was reading. But reconstruction did not last long. By 1877, it was dead. The North had lost interest in helping Southern blacks. Many factors had helped kill Reconstruction. Economic troubles in the country, a more conservative consensus within the nation, a general feeling in the country that Reconstruction had failed the resurgence of the Democratic Party, and a growing respectability for racist attitudes. Growing. Like, it it, it didn't... Uh, growing. They were like, you know what? I don't think it's too bad to be racist. That's, that's what these 
people were doing. They were growing. And before anyone jumps down my throat like, oh, look, see, Theo, Democratic Party, the party switched platforms. We all know this. We all, we all know this, okay? The party switched platforms. I don't remember the year, but you can look it up, okay? It just happened, all right? Anyway, people were getting comfortable being racist on the low and in public. 1980, sorry, 1890. Trust me, we'll get to 1980, though. 1890. Jim Crow laws come into effect. Basically, Black Codes 2.0, but the ones that stayed. For a really, really long time. This is So if you don't specifically know Jim Crow laws, if you've heard separate but equal, that's this. But obviously, separate but equal wasn't true. Separate schools, separate housing, separate public facilities, separate hospitals, just to name a few. So if you've been listening to these episodes, I just listed a few things I've listed before. But if you haven't, I'll just list it again. So, my faithful listeners and myself, let's do a thought experiment in part one of my race in America series, I said what the top five things that improve a community and its citizens way of life were the following mental health facilities, housing, hospitals, schools, and food. Did you, did you just see that they, they knew that? They knew that. I just listed the separate but equal facilities being schools, housing, public facilities, and hospitals. But the top five things that help a community's way of life, mental health facilities, no one cared about mental health in the 1890s, okay? Let's let's keep it a thousand. People barely cared in 2012, okay? Mental health facilities, housing, separate but equal housing, hospitals, separate but equal hospitals, schools, separate but equal schools, and food is food, right? They knew this, and that's why they made them separate but equal, quote unquote. They, they made them segregated because they knew if they had subpar versions of these crucial facilities, they won't develop at the rate that they need to. These people, they are evil, but they are smart. They know ex- they knew exactly what they were doing a hundred something years ago. Okay, but we also need to stop saying it as a hundred something years ago because I'll show you it gets as close as two thousand seven. Now tell me this: you're smart. Uh, you're you're here because you're smart, right? I'm not inherently smarter than anyone else, right? You're here because you're smart. Let's think about this critically. Now, if all of those things that I listed a billion times by now, now if all of those things are separated by race and aren't given any state funding and run by people who 
bless their hearts, were legally prevented from being able to educate themselves on how to do their jobs properly, how do you think it'll go? Obviously, the average nurse now could run circles around the average nurses back then. But really, how good can a school be if it's being taught by people who didn't go to school? And like I said, it is not their fault. But how can I, I like, for example, I can't teach a chemistry class. I am a business major. I don't know anything. All right. All I know is numbers. And like really niche things about Pokemon. All right. I don't know chemistry. You wouldn't want me as your chemistry teacher. Okay. Drexel had a class called chemistry for business majors because they knew we had smooth brains. Okay. We didn't have all the surface area because all we think about is our Starbucks and our Excel sheets. Okay. I know that's the case. All right. I am not STEM. All right. I am Patagonia to the day I die. All right. That's just how it is. Okay. There's like, you got it like that. How can you run a school the right way? If you're, if it's your first time running a school, how can, how can you run a hospital the right way? If it's your first time doing something like that, like you're, Like, they are doing this so purposefully. And like I said, I applaud the people back then for being so resourceful, being so resilient, so being so mentally tough to go through these things. But I feel so bad that they were thrust into positions where they are community leaders when when they just have to come up with stuff on the fly sometimes, right? The, it's very clear. You already know the textbooks weren't as up to date as they could be. The facilities were not up to date, not up to code as they needed to be. The materials in the classes were scarce. And that's a problem now where teachers have to pay out of pocket for classroom materials, let alone a black only school in the 18 and 1900s. When schools are taxpayer funded, let alone the government cut the state funding to these black only schools, how can you say that that's an environment that can foster true growth? We're always ragging on people in inner cities being behind in schools. We're only four generations removed from from teachers being teachers for the very first time in their lives, and they didn't even have a teacher growing up. Right. Like you like the the information gap will always be there. There will be school. There are schools I've done community service at that are predominantly white and also in very high disposable income areas. And they have laptops that they can take out and rent in like fourth grade. I'm like, huh? What? It's crazy. The, the 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 top of the top always gets better faster. That's always how it's going to be. By 1910, all southern states had excluded black Americans from voting. 1910, right? 40 years after they were allowed to vote in the first place. 
they then couldn't vote again until the 1960s. So, of course, naturally, white Americans pushed pro-white, anti-black legislation through for all 50 of those years between 1910 and 1960. Think about it like that. I feel like it's not, it's never emphasized enough, right? Let's just say if in 1980, the same thing happened again, where Reagan would have made it so black people couldn't vote again, or the states made it so we couldn't vote again, and he never stopped it, right? Add another 50-year period were to happen again, right? 50 years, like that one from 1910 to 1960. If it happened again in 1980, that would mean I wouldn't have been able to vote this year. We, we keep treating 1960 like it was eons ago. We can't keep doing that. It's so straight. We cannot keep doing that, Okay. We get, we get projected all of these atrocities like they were so long ago, but honestly and truly, they were not. They were not, right? My dad was born before the Civil Rights Act was passed. That's how I know it wasn't that long ago. My mom was born the year the Civil Rights Act got passed. Yeah. My mom is just as old as the Civil Rights Act. I'm sorry, mom, for throwing your age out there. You look like you're like 27, though. It's okay. But she, but just she would appreciate the example. Like, just look, all you have to do is look at a person, a real life person, and be like, oh. That is how long ago many, many, many forms of discrimination were legal. We can't, we have to stop this narrative that people at the time, legislators, bystanders, and everyone in between were just closed-minded. They just didn't know. Like, stop. We can't keep protecting these awful people. These people weren't dumb. They were angry. They were racist. We have to open up to that. These people that made it, so, like, it, it, you can literally watch a documentary of when the first school was integrated. Like, in 1957, I've seen it a lot, right? These people are feral. They, they look like they have rabies because black children are getting the opportunity just the just the chance to go to school with white kids there are people saying i'll never send my school my child back to this school again you can look it up it's on youtube i know that it's somewhere at least there's people that are this mad right you know how old their kids are barely older than my father Yeah. Those kids of those parents who were screaming at some black children just trying to go to school. 
are the same age as my parents. A little bit older. You know what I'm saying, though. My mom went to school in D.C. White kids would throw rocks at her bus when she would go to school. This was in, like, the 70s and 80s. Kids were throwing rocks at her bus just because she went to a black. She was black and was going to school. The 70s and 80s, we, 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 oh man, I just wish I lived back then. No, you, I mean, I don't. For what? What? For, for what? Why would I want to go back to more racism? I could barely stand the subtle racism that there is now, let alone the overt stuff. What? People literally on my way to school Monday, getting ro- I'm getting rocks thrown at me on a, on a Monday morning. You think your Mondays are hard? I'm not built like that. I can't handle that. I'm, I'm dead serious. I was not built for that. I am soft. Oh, I miss the 80s. I was born in the wrong... I I was born at the right time because I am soft. Charmin soft. Oh, my goodness. I build a bear soft. I couldn't even imagine. My parents are built different. Factual. And they raised this soft son. <laughs> I am my pillow soft. I am Cottonelle two ply soft. I couldn't handle that. Built different. If you if you see like if you see someone that is in their fifties sixties, they're a person of color. Just get them get them a coffee or something. Just just something like what. Rocks thrown at their buses on the way to school. And then you have to go to school. What? I'll tell this story. I'll tell this story. Why not? Why not? I'll tell the story. It was 2016. I've never, I don't think I've ever said this to more than like two or three people. It was 2016. The election had just happened, had just happened, right? And I'm on the train to go to work. I'm taking the subway into my job, right? And this guy decked out in all make America, all that, all the MAGA, everything, starts screaming. He's like, he's like shouting everything. He pulls right up in front of my face and says to me, how do you feel? You must be mad. You lost. Go back to where you came from and just left. Yeah, that happened to me in 2016. I was shaken. Like, I mean, I was in no I was in no mental state to fight this guy. I have everything to lose. I was going to my first co-op out of three. I'm 19 in a business shirt. I like, what am I going to do? Right. I just wasn't, what was I going to do? Of course I would love to say, oh yeah, he caught me on the wrong day. No, I'm not built like that. I'm dead serious. 
because I was afraid. Like, what if I like if I get in this altercation with this guy and it just it goes south. Right. One, I'd be late for work, (laughs) clearly. And I wanted to maintain my job status Two, if my job hears about it. What if they don't take my side? I was afraid. Right. Three, if the police hear what happened and the guy was in my face, but I punched the guy, right? They're going to, I was just afraid that it's the Baltimore police. They are the least trustworthy public organization. Maybe I could think of in that moment to protect me. Right. So I'm thinking like, if I punch this dude, right. If I just try to like, at least get him out of my face in some capacity, if I make physical contact with this guy, do I lose my job? Where do I go? Like, that's the only thing that was in my mind. I have so much to lose in this one situation, right? And he just, and he could just go back to work or whatever he did, right? It, I mean, my entire day was ruined. You know what I mean? I was sitting at work and I just didn't know what to do. Like, I, like, obviously I was, I was processing all of the things in my head and I kept coming to the same conclusion. Theo, you couldn't do anything. You were sitting there. What if you, and I was like, but Theo, you should have stood up for yourself. But Theo, what if you lose your job? Your only way out of the situation you're in right now is if you maintain your employment, if you maintain a good relationship with your employer, if you don't get arrested on some assault charges on a Wednesday morning or whenever it was, you know what I mean? Like, the only way out for me was to continue to keep my head down and continue to get paid. I wasn't even, I'm not even afforded the ability to defend myself because of all of those pressures, all of those fears in the same, and this is the same country that is the land of the free home of the brave, all that. Right. But in that moment, there was too much pressure. What if I lose my job? Then what do I do? Now I'm the angry black kid who assaulted someone for expressing different views. That's how it would get spun. I just saw it in my head. I just knew, right? And that's what's hard. What can you do? Like I said, I'm not built like that. How did they do that? I don't know. Because it happened to me. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Me aside, let's get back to finances. Median household income. Simple, simple stat. Median household income. White families in 1970, $51,000. Median household income. Black families, 1970. $29,000. $29,000. So you're looking at a $22,000 gap, right? In 1970. 2016. White families. $60,000. Median household income, $60,000. Black families. 2016. Median household income, $38,000. It's the same. 46 years, no progress, no no closure of the gap, at least. More money out there, yes, but cost of income, yes. 
is like cost of living higher yes all of your expenses are higher yes gap not closed same margin dollar amount margin just on a more personal level maryland is the number one state in the u.s in terms of average household income which is the one thing i always flex and the flag because the maryland flag is literally the greatest flag in history so here's this breakdown maryland household income white families 2016 remember average was 60,000 maryland average white families 2016 90,964 dollars okay black families remember the average was 38,000 Black families, 2016, $65,039. So, of course, still over the average for black families, but the gap is even bigger, right? $25,000 gap between white families and black families in Maryland, as opposed to the national average gap of 22000 which shows what could be concluded here. This is not a definitive conclusion. I would have to do more research on this, but I wanted to stay kind of close to the topic. But you could conclude that the more income there is, the bigger the gap becomes. You could conclude that. Incomplete data set, I need to look at more states. But if Maryland's the number one state, I wouldn't be surprised if this wasn't an outlier. Right. The gap goes from twenty two thousand to twenty five thousand. Yes, it's good that the black families are getting more money, but to use the dumbest metaphor I've ever come up with. Right. If you're in a race, if you're in a race, like I said, this is a dumb metaphor. You can ignore it, whatever. If you're in a race and you hit your personal best, but you still lose. How completely satisfied can you be? Now, I'm not calling for people to lose income so I can gain income. I'm I you work hard for what you want. Hey, good for you. But I'm just curious, like what what does it need? That's, of course, what I'm trying to talk about today. What does need to be done for that gap to close? I don't wish people to lose anything. I just hope that me as a black American could be part of the group that starts gaining something. Let's talk about when the U.S. government destroyed any attempts of black self-sufficiency. So these are examples of when black people or black groups began to exercise their rights or make the most out of their own situation and the U.S. government or the state government decided to stop it or at least not stop the people trying to stop it. We know that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, right, He did not just die. He was assassinated. Even though 
everyone loves him now. He was deemed one of the most dangerous men in America. He was on the FBI Most Wanted list and was monitored by the FBI starting in 1955. They did not love him. That is all revisionist history. The director of the FBI believed he was a communist. They tried to thwart his efforts. For equality. Again, the FBI tried to stop a man fighting for equality. It didn't ask for more than what white people were getting. He asked for something comparable, or maybe the same in most cases. He's a threat to national security. Let alone, let alone Malcolm X, who was significantly more radical towards his view of civil rights. You know there was a coup on American soil before? A coup. Like, coup d'etat. Like, what happened... I mean, really simple example. If you don't know what happened in Ba Sing Se, in Avatar, a coup. A coup happened in America. The only successful coup d'etat, if that's how you pronounce it, in American history... Happened in 1898. Wilmington, North Carolina was home to 126,000 registered black male voters. The black middle class featured over 65 doctors, lawyers, and teachers. Some were restaurant owners, public officials, you name it. A mob of disgruntled white Americans stoked up fear about their rights being taken away and potential endangerment to their wives and children. These domestic terrorists went into people's homes, staged mobs at election locations, and threatened physical torture and death on any black person who voted. The terrorists... One, they filed, quite literally, the White Declaration of Independence, real title, stating that they will never be ruled by the black man ever again. In this declaration, they removed the ability to vote of any black person. They demanded job positions held by black people be given to white people. They formed a mob of over 2,000 people and killed at least 60 black Americans. And when the black citizens of Wilmington, North Carolina, who were just a part of the local government, reached out to the White House for help, Nobody responded. Let's talk about another one. 
Let's talk about another one. It blew up in in notice this year, which I'm glad about. It was also a part of a popular HBO show, Watchmen. Let's discuss the Tulsa Race Massacre. Tulsa, Oklahoma, post-World War I, was a segregated area that's economy was thriving due to oil. The black residents lived in Greenwood, home to a thriving business area known as Black Wall Street. One day, a black teenager entered an elevator with a white woman. She screamed. He was arrested. The news circulated through Tulsa that the young lady was sexually assaulted, although nobody was able to corroborate that story, and over 1,500 angry white Oklahomans rushed Greenwood. They were, and I am being completely serious, deputized by the Tulsa city officials and given weapons and shot bystanders in movie theaters and in their homes. 72 hours after the elevator incident, thousands of angry white Americans poured into Greenwood and burned everything within a 35 block radius. Dynamite was dropped onto Greenwood. Yes. Firefighters in the area testified that rioters threatened to shoot them if they helped put out the fires. The police later confirmed that the teenager who encountered the white woman committed no heinous act whatsoever. A paraphrase, they said he might have stepped on her foot. The Tulsa media covered up the story as best as they could. No newspapers covered the event. No National Guard records of anything took place. And that was 100 years ago. But the rioters, they they killed, these rioters killed people. Because they were black. End of story. Black success made them drop dynamite onto a city. Right? But the rioters, a Walmart, you're worried about a Walmart. People died in this one. Someone died. Okay. And, it's, it, and it made its way into the news today. So let's talk about what happened in Philadelphia in 1985. 35 years ago. 35. Everyone here knows someone who's at least 36 or older. At least. So 1985. Move. The group is called Move. M-O-V-E. Move. A civil rights group native to Philadelphia was making a name for themselves. 
the police commissioner of Philadelphia at the time ordered someone from a helicopter to drop a C4 explosive on a predominantly black Philadelphia neighborhood where the members of MOVE stayed. 61 houses were destroyed, 250 people were homeless, 11 killed. The commissioner told the firefighters to let the fires continue to burn. The city just decided today via a vote that they should, in response to the incident, apologize. They had to vote to apologize. They had to vote to apologize. And 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 I think I'll take a small break just to run on the tangent that's in my head at this very moment. I know that there are people that you've run into on the Internet, in person, who say about the people who are currently rioting because someone was killed by the police. They're being so inconsiderate of other people's lives. I promise you that people being homeless, but from the police commissioner dropping C4 on someone's apartment that killed 11 people is always going to be infinitely worse than anything, anything that has happened as a result of police brutality since any time, any time. All right. 1985. Let's talk about housing. Survey of Consumer Finances by Edward Wolf. Excluding vehicles, home equity accounts for 62% of wealth, then pensions then cash and so on and so forth. So owning a home is incredibly important, right? Let's take it back a bit. Let's 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 hit a little rewind. A time period we've been kind of kind of floating around in lately. Great Depression. FDR's president or whoever's president, pretty sure it's FDR, whatever. President is president doing president things, signs the New Deal, which extends home loan credit and insurance throughout America. That's great, isn't it? One caveat, though. The Federal Housing Administration wouldn't insure mortgages in areas deemed too risky. So tell me, you got you're you're in your third podcast with me, right? Third one. So tell me, a country sixty years removed from the Civil War, forty years before the Civil Rights Act, and Jim Crow laws are legal in the southern half of the country. Where do you think they deemed too risky? Where do you think that was? Here comes the trivia. The Housing Administration colored the areas with more black families in red. Redlining. That's where the term comes from. 
there are literal maps where metropolitan areas like Atlanta, Denver, Los Angeles, Brooklyn, Miami, Detroit, and Baltimore would have blocks colored in by quality, right? The greens and the blues on the map were first and second grade, right? Like in terms of grade, like high quality grade. The yellow was third grade and red was last. So guess what? I think we've all heard of compounding interest before. You know what compounding interest stopped applying to? The value of those houses in red, There's so many stories of, oh, yeah, my parents bought this house X amount of decades ago for $50,000, and now it's worth $600,000. That didn't apply to black families because the housing administration said it shouldn't. Literally. Landlords were so afraid that black families moving in would drive down the price of their property that they wouldn't even show them houses that weren't in black neighborhoods. And the funny thing is, the twisted thing, the real just, mm, was that they were more or less right. The average white family was so terrified of a black family moving in that they would also just move out of their house. They would just move. They didn't want to live near them that badly that they would move. By the 1970s, coming off the heels of the civil rights movement, the home ownership gap was 62.9% for the average, the national average, without black people, to 41.6% for black families. Only 41.6% owned homes. So Theo, I hear you impatiently asking, How does any of this apply to right now? That sounds like it's so in the past. That was all in black and white. I got you. In the 90s, all right? I was born in the 90s. I can at least at least be look at myself and be like, hey, you're this legislation years old, all right? In the 90s, the government started making pushes to open up home ownership, particularly to people of color in America. This was the first step towards the right track. But there was a big problem. And once I tell you, you'll get how big of an issue it was. According to the Center for Responsible Lending, 52.9% of the loans offered to black Americans were subprime mortgages. As compared to 26.1 for white Americans. For those who do not know, a subprime loan has no or a very little down payment amount, but gets increasingly more expensive through interest rates. The interest rates are not fixed. They increase over time. So the interest rate could be 3% with no down payment in the beginning, and that looks great. However, but by year 10, it's at 5%. At year 15, it's at 8%. And it balloons all the way to nearly 11% by year 30. This was done 
to ensure that borrowers with low credit could still own a home. Which, of course, from everything I've told you up to this moment, means that they were mostly people of color with low credit. Just need a little water break, you know. But the problem still existed that according to the Center for Responsible Lending, black borrowers with good credit were still five times more likely to be given a subprime loan compared to white borrowers with good credit. So who do we point the finger at? Who do we blame? Who, who's in, who do we really blame here? My personal favorite is Wells Fargo. Yes, that same Wells Fargo that had the fake account scandal in 2016 by opening accounts to fluff up their numbers, even assigning accounts to customers without their knowledge. That Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo targeted black churches, namely in Baltimore, with subprime loans. And if you don't know, Baltimore has an insanely high amount of churches per capita. So they knew exactly what they were doing. They partnered with churches so that for each church member that signed up to get a mortgage through Wells Fargo, the church would get a donation. Another problem with that was that the member was only going to get offered a subprime loan no matter what their credit score was. So if you haven't pieced together the impending iceberg to this titanic nonsense that's about to happen, trust me, I'm about to tell you. 2008, it was all gone. The housing market crashed. Millions of people defaulted on these absurd ballooning subprime loans certain black communities lost up to 53 percent of their total wealth uh, dude, from a pew research study i tried to say per a pew research study and it just was not coming out as compared to 16 percent for white americans 53 to 16 it was gone it your your pathway Home equity will take me. Remember that 62% number? Gone. House was gone. Foreclosed. And you know who got blamed for it? You know who got blamed for it? Nationally, who got blamed for it? Black Americans. Black Americans were openly and publicly called irresponsible, careless, and the cause of the recession. All for being the victims of predatory lending. It was so unfair to everyone. Imagine if the student loan market crashed slash the bubble burst of how much student loan debt there was. And you just started blaming young students. Namely students of color because we couldn't pay it because, you know, we're not the legacy students who get into Ivy League schools because mommy and daddy have so much money. 
it would seem unfair, right, that we would get blamed for something like that when these predatory student loan companies are in charge of that kind of thing. We just want an education. We just want a chance to elevate ourselves and get a degree so we can make the money. Well, that's what our parents wanted. A chance to be able to own a home. They knew that 62% number. We, they knew that. They knew that home equity was the way. They knew that home equity was the way out of the racism wealth gap. And companies took advantage of them. Let's talk about education one more time. A study by the Fed Reserve Bank of St. Louis showed that generations of white college graduates saw their income increase dramatically over time. For black graduates, their income actually decreased. It's because, more often than not, a person of color going to college becomes the most successful person in their family network. I cannot tell you how many people that I went to college with that were people of color from 2015 to 2020 that were first generation college students. I mean, my mom didn't go to college until she was in her late 30s. It, it is so common that whatever family member in minority households becomes the most successful, they give money to their other family members. I haven't said this before on the podcast, but my dad has a master's degree from East Carolina University. He also played football there. He also played professional football. When he played, he sent money home to his family in North Carolina routinely, consistently, even after he stopped playing. People of color carry so much responsibility that unless your family is equally as successful as you, that money isn't entirely yours. I know that we hear about pro athletes making it out and a lot of people sticking their hands in their pot for money, but that's what happens to what we'd even consider regular people. My dad didn't even play for that long. And this was in the 80s. There were no massive endorsements or multi-million dollar contracts for the guys like in the middle or near the bottom of the roster. And he still helped out. I remember when someone who was white, they were white, uh, at college asked me, well, why don't your parents pay your college for you? And I looked at them as dumbfounded as I possibly could. I, because cause I just thought that people who could do that were only in TV and movies. I was, no, my, no, my family isn't poor or anything, but paying off a $60,000 a year school for five years? Even with scholarships, that that's an impossibility. Like, no way. No way at all. So let's, let's wrap up with something that I find so truly amazing. So it's kind of, it's fun. I think this is fun, but it, it's amazing on 
how it's so representative of who people of color can be at their core and are at their core. It's truly indicative of how different minorities are in America towards than than what we are perceived to be. So uh, let's do a quick little finance nerd math thing, right? Just finance nerd, blah, 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 blah. The United States balance of payments has this section called the current account, which is basically a summary of all the transactions that happen normally, sorry, nationally in a year, right? Balance of payments current account, right? And a subsection of the current account is direct transfers. In that direct transfer section is a term called remittance. Remittance. Remittance is when U.S. workers send money to family members abroad in their home countries. It's hard to count all of it, obviously, but there are some really good estimates out there. Here, here's just how much money American workers send back to their families. This one might blow your mind. In 2017, the United States contributed $149 billion. Big B. $149 billion to foreign countries. Not by companies, this is separate, not by companies, not by corporations, not through charity, not not natural disaster relief, not purchasing anything, literally just individuals sending money on their own to their families. Here are the notable countries. There are some notable countries, right? From the United States to Mexico. 30 billion dollars from the United States to India 16 billion dollars sent from the United States to India from the United States to the Philippines 11.7 billion dollars These are all in U.S. dollars. From the United States to Nigeria, $6.2 billion. That's where minorities are in this country. That insane responsibility, it hinders personal growth. That obligation, that level of selflessness, it's crazy, but that's that's really where I feel minorities are underrepresented, misrepresented. We're so, so many are so giving of their time, their money, their energy, their care. They reach out at constant amounts of time. Minority students are three times more likely to forego collegiate opportunities over two hours away from their home or out of state due to familial obligations than white students. Three times. Three times. 
This is because minority families usually keep everyone under the same roof more often than not. That the oldest sibling is also part-time caregiver, part-time babysitter, part-time head of household, and a full-time student. I mean, I don't think any of my closer friends back like way back when, I don't think any of them have had their parents hire a babysitter before. That's even with the single child households like mine. My cousins just came over, right? Same for my friends or it was my grandmother or my friend's grandparents in their situations. It is so much less likely that a white family will have three or more generations living in one household compared to families of color. It is so much less likely that a black family or a Hispanic family can afford to put their elderly members in foster care. My mom is currently working at an assisted living community, and she told I think everyone that she sees and works with is white. All of them. Literally. If we were to if we want to stop this wealth gap, it would take generations right generations of unhalted growth unhindered economic progress not just 20 years maybe not even 50 and it doesn't look like the u.s has the track record to help in that aspect so what is my conclusion from this it's actually really simple my conclusion is really simple do not Ever, ever, ever tell any minority or even insinuate that all you need is hard work. We've seen it taken away, massacred away, voted away, manipulated away, and burned away. We do everything we can if anyone ever around you insinuates that minorities do not work hard enough to get the success they want never take anything they say seriously ever again they just want you to look at the end result and point fingers Oh, but look at what happens in this city. Look at what happens in this city. Look at, I can't tell you how many times I hear about the problems in Baltimore from someone who's a Twitter egg in Alabama with some horrendous situations, in the South with some horrendous academic scores, with some horrendous situations of a history that they do not acknowledge. I never want to hear again oh minorities black people don't they don't work hard enough for what they want on a broadcast i overheard some news pundits saying that black people have to want to be successful please get out of my face you don't know the first thing about how hard we work Thank you.